0: Hi, my name's Joe Williams. I'm a Wiradjuri man uh, from from Wagga Wagga in, in New South Wales.
1: Joe's a proud Aboriginal man. He played in the NRL, so for our international listeners, that's our National Rugby League here in Australia. Uh, He played for South Sydney Rabbitohs, Penrith Panthers and the Canterbury Bulldogs before switching to professional boxing in 2009 where he was crowned a two-times WBF World Junior Welterweight Champion. Outside of the spotlight, he was battling pretty bad mental illness as he's done for most of his life. In 2012, uh, Joe tried to take his own life. So despite the successful career that he's had, he's lived with bipolar disorder and it's challenged him to great lengths, far beyond that of any physical world contests. Through that experience, he's found his true calling and it's in this that I can relate to for sure, which is where he uses his personal and professional experiences to help others. Recently, he's actually begun to get involved with the filming of a documentary called Suicide: The Ripple Effect, which is led by Kevin Hines, who is a man that tried to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and survived. Uh, He's got a really interesting story for anyone who wants to check that out as well. Joe's a published author, he's written the book Defying the Enemy Within. And in 2018, Joe was conferred the highest honour in Australia's eminent suicide prevention activity by Suicide Prevention Australia. And uh, he received a Life Award for his outstanding work in communities across the country. In this episode, Joe paints a really raw image of what life was like for him and what life is like for Indigenous Australians across our nation. And he sort of reminds us about the importance of of community, which is very aligned to what we're trying to do with Heart on My Sleeve. Joe makes a really interesting point around genetic memory and the intergenerational trauma that can be passed down and how our ancestors and their experiences really do play a part in shaping who we are as people today. We kind of go deep into his experiences that he manages to date with his own mental health, he's definitely someone on the front line. He's fighting in the trenches on the issue of suicide and mental health. And in fact, the afternoon that I interviewed Joe, uh, he'd only just found out about someone in his community committing suicide, which just shows how real it is for him on a day-to-day basis. Any trigger warnings that we try and do for each episode uh, listed is suicide and cultural trauma, but we would class them as mild to moderate. As always, go slow, go strong, one moment at a time. We're all on the journey. I did also just want to say that I'm still getting my head around this podcast thing, so... I had mucked up an issue with the microphone, so the audio quality is pretty poor on this one. My apologies. Um, So you'll hear some crackling and some um, faint noises on my end. Uh, But don't worry, we're on it. It won't be like this moving forward, I guarantee it. Mr. Joe Williams, thank you for joining us here on the podcast, my friend. It's good to be sitting
0: down and having a chat, you know, like uh, I guess we met recently and, and you know, I was, I was inspired by your story and, you know, the, I guess the work that a lot of us are doing now across the country, so it's uh, it's good to, to sit down and, and click with like-minded people.
1: Yes, and you are doing some amazing work. and. I do want to address right up front that that work is hard. Um, it is, uh, we, we play in pretty much the most confronting space of, of any industry you can be in. I'm pretty sure you can relate. You've done rugby and, and boxing, probably the two hardest sports alive. And I would imagine that being in this space is harder than both of them together.
0: It is, mate. It's, um, obviously, it's very different. But in saying that, it's It's real. Um, you know when you when you look at sports that's exactly what they are they're sports you know so you can click in and out of those whenever you want um, and I guess with the the work that we're involved in it's it's a very real topic and it's it's a it's a very emotional topic but it's one that's I guess needs you know a, a topic that we need to talk about
1: definitely I guess. To to bring it right up front, unfortunately, uh, I just learned a couple of minutes ago that it's only today you experienced a suicide in your close community, and um, I just want to acknowledge that and bring that to the fore, and just say my thoughts and prayers are with you and your community, and also having to support a lot of people over this time, um, being a figurehead in this industry. I hope you take care of yourself.
0: You know, it's one of the one of the one things that, that I learnt very early, very early on. It was. I can't help anyone if I'm not helping myself first. So uh, I can't give from an empty cup. So I've got to always keep my own cup full, you know, to be able to help others. So, um, you know, it's confronting, obviously, you know, when it's, when it's people you know. Um, but again, it just hits home that, that there's more work to be done.
1: How does your cup feel right now, mate? Like in this moment, I mean, like after a day like today, how do you feel really though?
0: It's tough. Uh, I, was, I was rattled earlier. Uh, I won't. I won't lie. I was rattled earlier, um, but it's it's one of those things where, again, you've you've spiritually got to you got to keep strong and focused because you know we're all entitled, entitled to our bad days and you know our our our, our days that you know that the the capture you know at the heartache. So um, you know we just got to navigate our way the best way we can through that. And you know for me it's no different. Um, you know, I'm someone who, who always tries to live present and, and not in the head too much. So, you know, if, if I can look after myself when I'm doing it tough and also then reach out to those other people that, uh, that are doing it tough uh, in those tough times as well, then, you know, it's, it's about helping and healing and, and sharing with each other.
1: What do you do for yourself when something like that, like suicide hits so close to home to stay above water? Do you have any practices or mindsets that you continually go back to?
0: Man, I'm, I'm someone who's extremely cultural. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's about connecting spiritually to that. Um, you know, and a lot of people say that, you know, there's exercise and there's, there's other things that, you know, meditation or whatever that, that, that helps them out. You know, for me, it's, Connecting spiritually, and whether it be sitting around a fire, or whether it be just catching up with with some like-minded friends, it's you know you've got to keep yourself in that that safe space to one be able to talk about it, but to be able to to express your grief as well.
1: So it sounds like community is a really big deal for you, having that support system to go back to, and I think that is such a an amazing part of Aboriginal culture and and Dreamtime, the the spiritual. Part of the Aboriginal culture is life. You know, it's not a separate thing. It's the way that you go about living, and I and I really respect and honour that.
0: You know, Aboriginal people, the First Nation people of this country, have been community forever, and that's why we didn't have problems with. That's why we didn't have problems with our uh, our well being is because we're always doing things together. Uh, we always kept an eye on each other, and and we're always spiritually safe. Um, and when we weren't, that's when you know the old people got a hold of us and, you know, made sure they whipped us back into line. line. So,
1: what do you think that, that is? What, what is that main component that we've lost?
0: Again, that community aspect. You know, we've the thing that's supposed to be connecting us the most in the world, our telephones, are the things that's disconnecting us the most. You know, we, we sit on the internet, we sit on social media, and we have conversations online. You know, you and I are, are having a conversation now um, where, you know, I guess, before technology, we would have been doing that face-to-face. So, um, you know, everything, uh, there was, it's about adapting and and learning to walk in the two worlds. So, um, you know, spiritually, you know, we can reconnect to that stuff. Uh, But again, it's it's about learning to manage our way of life, living in a modern world as well.
1: How do we learn from Aboriginal culture to bring more authentic and real connections into our modern world?
0: I think you only have to look at, you know, what, What the old people did, you know, they did everything together. Um, You know, when when we're sitting in a house, uh, you know, that's that's heated, and we have our meals served up to us. You know, they're they're not served on the table anymore. So it's the the simple things like that of sitting around the table and having a conversation. Now no one sits around the table and has a conversation. Um, You know, in traditional time, it was if we get a feed for the community, it's for everyone. You know, it wasn't about me catching or cooking a feed for myself. It was me catching and cooking a feed for everyone, Uh, and everyone got a piece of that pie. So, um, you know, it was about looking after others before you look after yourself. That's the main thing that we can learn from, looking after others before we look after ourselves. Because the more we give as a community, as people, the more we give, then the more everyone's going to receive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I heard this amazing definition of hell where – the wooden spoons you're feeding from a soup in a cauldron in front of you and everyone is sitting around it in a circle and the wooden spoons are really long and everyone's looking at each other like I can't flip this around to eat and I'm going to die and starve and that's what they did because what they didn't figure out is the spoons were long and they were supposed to feed the person next to them and the person next to them and the person next to them and they only had to look to their Right to see that there was a spoon in front of them from somebody else, and I think that it is that um, that Western way of being so individualized and and you know every man for themselves that um, has come to our detriment.
0: I think it's individualized and a little bit uh, there, there's no humility in what we do. You know everything everything is fueled by ego. We all want the biggest and best and to eat the first and eat the fastest and you know to eat, eat the best meal and. And be finished first, so we can go on to the next thing. Like it's 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 not about having conversation. It's not about being humble and sharing. And um, you know, the opposite to uh to ego is you know love and humility. So um, you know, there's there's so much to learn from that.
1: In your community that you operate in on a day to day basis, does the community still tell stories?
0: We do. You know, the unfortunate thing is is that community uh, for a long time we were told that our culture was uh, demonized we was we were told that you know culture wasn't the way to 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 help us that's what you know when when the when the Christian missionaries were set up it was culture is the devil and this is the thing that's going to save you so for a long time you know we now we say turn to our elders for support and turn to our elders for the stories but the elders had the stories bashed out of them so it's tough, you know, you know, we've missed a couple of generations because we were told that it was so demonized. Um, but you know what? Thankfully, it's starting to come back. And and again, through through sharing, through traveling around the country, you can hear story, you can share story from from the other side of the country. And, and knowing that, that our people, the first people, are all one as a people, uh, we, we can do that happily and we, we get to, to share those stories with each other with love.
1: And going back to your childhood, was there a story that you were told by an elder that helped you make sense of the world and, and still sits with you today? And, and if so, can you tell it to us?
0: I think it's, it's something that's been ingrained in me forever. And that's that, uh, you know, it's not so much a story, but all the stories had that underlying value of sharing and caring and not being greedy. Um, so it was always about you know, helping other people um, to or, or serving other people first, and you know, if other people have got less than you, then to uh, help them sit at the table with you, type thing. So it was all about uh, non-greed and all about sharing, and, and and sharing of all things, whether it's sharing of food, of water, sharing of 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 culture, sharing of ceremony. It's it's always about sharing. So uh, we have to get away from that, I think, Western way of living where so much is individualized. We've got to get back to community and start to help each other and share with each other.
1: It's so devastating when you look at the suicide rates amongst Indigenous men, it's the highest in the world. Between the bracket of 25 to 29, it's double the rate of non-Indigenous. That has to have something to do with, with intergenerational trauma and what the community has experienced over the last decades and centuries of pain what can we do as non-indigenous to help this re- repair because in relationship it's the ruptures one thing but how we repair is our greatest opportunity for growth
0: i think uh showing empathy you know start to sit with us and and have a little bit of understanding you know i was i was at uh garma festival recently up in remote arnhem land and i took uh, my my manager who works with me along and she's a non-Indigenous woman and she saw the beauty and richness of the culture on the ground and she said, why doesn't Australia connect to this? You know, it's it's the longest continual culture on the planet. It's something to be proud of, you know, and, and we wonder why. We wonder why that, you know, people see what we do as uh, not existent or see what we do as less than. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're an open and sharing, uh, people. So we're always going to share when people want to sit down and listen, when we start to, uh, when, when we start mm-hmm. to empathize and show a little bit of understanding, that's when we, we start to, to really, I guess, hone in on the feelings of, wow, did our, our people really do that? You know, for a non-indigenous perspective, did our people really treat them like this? Um, and that's when we start to show when we start to show empathy towards that that's when we start to get an understanding of why our people are the way we are and why we act the way we do and even why we still carry the generational trauma and you know a lot of our negative behaviors are through traumatic response a lot of yeah. the negative behaviors that we have are coming from from a place of pain again we can't sit back and judge that we have just got to show a bit of compassion to that and help each other understand
1: it Can you take us into the mind of an Indigenous man in in his mid-20s? You know, a lot of us listening are probably sitting in the city somewhere in a nice comfy house or building and haven't really connected with where we come from in this land. For someone in their mid-20s who is Aboriginal, what are the things that they're struggling against that cause the most pain?
0: I think the things that we are struggling the most with, especially along the eastern states and, and down south, is our identity of who we are. You know, we, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're too black to be white, but we're too white to be black. Um, so it's, it's, it's we're, we're struggling between the both worlds. I think once we get a grasp on and an understanding of our spirituality, why we act the way we do why we feel the way we do at certain times of the year that's when we start to get an understanding you know i took i took uh, some some young people in their early 20s on a on a healing camp just last week uh, up around the newcastle area with some fairly significant sites along the east coast uh, i took these kids up to see these sites and these kids have been in the city their entire life in sydney their entire life so they haven't connected Spiritually, what it is and what it feels like to be an Aboriginal person. So, um, we took them up there. And once we start to then connect spiritually, what they are, that's when we start to get a healing. We start to get an understanding. With understanding comes healing. And we start to then, uh, break down a little bit about what's, what's happening with our mind. Um, the things that we can't control, the things that we can control and, you know, look to put ourselves on a positive foot forward. But it was, um, you know, there's some, there's some stuff that I'm doing uh, now around the camps that I'm taking young people away is about healing that trauma. You know, once we start to talk about trauma, we start to, uh, you know, get it out of our body. And that's, you know, once we get it out of our body, that's when we start to get it out of our mind.
1: Couldn't agree more. What's a you really useful tool for you to work with young people to get trauma out of the body? Is there anything specifically where you're like this? This really helps. Talking. Talking. Yeah
0: talking again it comes back to conversation yeah it comes back to conversation and and normalizing the conversation and and helping individuals to realize that the things that they're going through aren't always their fault you know again when we talk about transgenerational trauma we're talking about a trauma that is deeply embedded within our dna so we the day we're born we're carrying trauma from stuff that we haven't even experienced so we carry that within the epigenetics of our of our being of our makeup uh, and it's it's hard to get your, your head around and to understand how and why that happens for you even just as an innocent child
1: mm yeah i i think that, that can't be that can't be overstated some people are so ignorant to the fact that there was a, a complete and utter you know excuse my word and this is a triggering word but slaughtering of, of human beings that we expect to sort of say well that was a long time ago it really wasn't
0: you know people talk about how much it was a long time ago it's only five or six generations and we're talking about how how long ago it was again white science is now proving that we carry that trauma from us so it's not something that we make up. It's it's proven now by non-indigenous science that we carry the trauma and the genetics from that trauma of 1788 of the invasion of being looked down upon of you know um, being slaughtered at the drop of a hat like we're, we're still we're still living products of the invasion uh, and that's what a lot of people don't understand and and that's what I think we've got to start to show some empathy towards because, again, once we start to show empathy towards it, we start to have an understanding. When we start to have an understanding, that's when we can start to heal.
1: Right. Once we understand, we can let go. And uh, I know the land land plays a big role in your culture and in, in your resilience. And so do you have conversation with the land and bring that into your practices with young people?
0: What, what for, for our belief as well is that all the animals, all the the living uh, beings on our spiritual world, so we're talking humans, we're talking animals, we're talking even waterways, we're talking trees, you know, that's all got living spirit. So, you know, when we die, we become the blood and bones of the ground. Um, you know, when we, again, when we crush ochre to wear on our bodies with ceremonial time for, for, for painting, for dance and so forth, that's crushing the old people. That's crushing the blood and bones of those old people. The spirit of the land is made up by, again, our our ancestors that have been tortured on the land. So we still carry that as a recognition and as you know uh, something that we can look back on and and call on in in times where again these 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 ceremonial times.
1: What are some of the times? You've called on on that strength because you, you have had an amazingly successful life and career, but also one that has been peppered with torment and hardship. Can you take us through a bit of a, your own journey of, of your story?
0: You know, uh, I call on the old people every day. I call on the old spirits to walk with me every single day because, you know, there are times that I struggle. And, you know, through those tough times, if I feel that I can't do it myself, then I'll I'll start to talk and I'll start to ask them. And that's when, you know, certain things will make me feel the certain way. I'll, I'll feel the breeze pick up and, you know, a bird might come and sit next to me. And, and that's recognition of the old people are still around me. So um, there's been times in my sporting career, um, you know, going into a last round of fights where, you know, I'll call the old people to help me home, um, you know, and, the, and then again. Uh, You know, I I can't overlook my suicide attempt where I did everything within the power of my hands to not be here anymore. Something else kept me here. You know, I have no doubt whatsoever that it's the old people.
1: Wow. Well, I want to take a moment just to thank those spirits and if I may, to allow you to be here with us to tell your story. And I'm glad that, that you are, very glad. And you talk a lot about how I love the sentence you said, don't just... Ask if someone's okay. Find out.
0: That's the thing, right? Is that, and I think uh, things like Are You Okay Day, um, you know, um, slogans like It Ain't Weak to Speak, you know, these type of things. Uh, we we ask a question: Is somebody okay? And then we just let it slide. If they say yes, yeah. then it's like, well, I ticked the box of what I got to do. Um, now the rest is on them. Uh, I think. You know, again, especially with suicide prevention, it suicide prevention isn't around what we say. It's about the, the behaviors we notice in everyone, um, you know, and that starts in the family home. You know, we can, we can notice when our parents aren't doing too well, when our brothers and sisters aren't doing too well. Uh, we notice in our workplace when someone's not doing too well. What's stopping us from reaching our hand out to, to ask them, are they okay?
1: Right, and then be willing for an answer that might not be yes.
0: It comes back to, you know, living in an egotistical world where we're only worried about ourselves. Every time we ask a question, we, we've got a loaded response. We, we already know what we're going to say back to them. So, um, you know, ask if you ask the question, is somebody okay, pay attention to the mannerisms of when, that, when they respond.
1: Right, and, and genuinely care about what that is. And again, you know, the difference between asking and finding out. Finding out implicitly says that I'm curious, I care, I want to hold this space with you, and people can sense that. People can can sense when that when someone's saying "Are you okay?" and it's just lip service versus genuinely. No, I give a shit.
0: I think uh, you know, with people who like us who struggle, uh, everything inside our head tells us that no one cares. Everything inside our head tells us that we don't matter. Uh, everything inside our head tells us that that we shouldn't be sharing our pain onto someone else. Um, so when you've got somebody. Who continually asks and continually plants that seed to showing that they care, then it hits home. Uh, because again, you know, we 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 start to listen to our mind too much, and you know, if we listen to our mind too much, it convinces us that that we don't matter. <laughs>
1: As a boxer, as you would know better than anyone, that your mind plays a bigger role than your body, what was some of the chatter that would happen when the gloves are on and you're taking punches? Um, what would the conversation be like?
0: You know, there is so much that happens inside your head, so you can't uh, you can't underestimate the the preparation that goes into it physically. Um, you know, for me, I learned very early onwards that I got tired by thinking you know, in a in a boxing fight. So I had to train myself physically to a point where I wouldn't get physically tired um because my mind was flying so much during a fight. You're thinking about where this guy's feet are, where what his hands are doing, how he's looking uh, mentally and and physically, how his body language is and then how long there is to go in a round and how what what number of rounds are we in and if I'm up on the scoreboard, or, or what I have to do to make sure that I win each round, so your, your mind's going a million miles an hour of all these things that you got to think about. So you can't at all sit back and worry about your mental, uh, your your physical fatigue, uh, because that's when you start to get tired. Um, so you know, boxing taught me how to fight back in some of the toughest times where, uh, for me, it was was all about being as physically fit and in shape as I possibly can be to then being as mentally strong as I could be because we'd have to ask ourselves so many questions in in those dire times. You know, you get punched in the mouth and it hurts, all right? You start to ask yourself, do I really want to be in here? What have I got to do to win this fight?
1: Yeah. Have you faced bigger opponents outside or inside the ring?
0: Outside without doubt. Without doubt. The biggest tough that I've ever fought is within my own head. That's why my organisation is called The Enemy Within because I've faced tough guys on the rugby league field and I've faced guys who want to knock my teeth out in the boxing ring. Nothing compares to the enemy I fight inside my head every single day. You know, I I, I realise that if I can – get through those tough times, then physically I can get through any times.
1: And so you played for a range of clubs, I think most well-known for South Sydney, uh, Rabbitohs, who for our international listeners is one of our uh, most coveted rugby Australian sports. Uh, You were at sort of the top grade and a lot of pressure from a young age. And I found it really interesting in your story that it was just after you'd had your first serious concussion, I think about 13 years old when... After coming off the back of that, you felt your first signs of of mental illness, of confusion, and a voice telling you you weren't good enough. And then straight away, you were thrown into an NRL career. That must have been very jarring.
0: Well, for a long time, I did, I, I, for a long time, I thought everyone went through it. For a long time, I thought that everybody had this head noise, this extremely negative dialogue that told them um, that they weren't good enough. That questioned everything they were doing. It's just that mine told me that. That I was I wasn't good enough, and that I should end my life. You know, I've had thoughts and ideas of suicide since a very young age, um, and it was it, it wasn't until I guess later that I started to study the mind a little bit and and understand my own mind. Is that the only times when I wasn't in danger was when I was in the sporting arena, whether it be on the rugby league field or whether it be in the boxing ring, because you've got to stay present. You know, if we learn to stay present in our mind, we learn to control some of the negative dialogue that happens. Uh, all of the negative dialogue that happens inside our head is thinking about the past or the future. Uh, what may happen or how come this happened? Um, so once we, 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 we learn to move past, you know, a negative uh, things that we've left behind or the what if may happen or what what the, the what ifs of, of the future, we start to control, and, and, and that's what anxiety and depression is brought on by. They, you know, I, I like to, uh, you know, with respect, uh, describe them as thinking disorders rather than mental illnesses because we're just thinking about the wrong stuff. We're either thinking about the past or thinking about the future, things that have happened to us.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I um I think having too much time, too much space on our hands can sometimes be really detrimental, particularly if we do have, you know, thinking problems like you've just described very well. And, you know, thinking about people who do have a lot of space and time is people in remote and rural areas. And I know this is a passion point of yours. Can you help us get into the mind of someone out there?
0: Well, the thing is, you know, we see so many different things on television, um, you know, whether it be Television or social media, it's setting our young people up especially to fail. is because there's always an expectation. Uh, We always want the biggest and brightest of the city rather than concentrating on what's underneath our nose right in front of us, you know. So a lot of what we see on TV and even on social media is completely out of reach for a lot of uh, people who sit in uh, extreme remote communities. So, um, you know, again, it starts to to sit a, a massive point of confusion in our heads as to what we want to do or what the realistic side of things of what we can become.
1: Yeah. And we've got uh, at the moment in Australia, particularly in New South Wales, we're experiencing severe drought, which is really affecting farmers across the country who, yeah, livelihoods are at stake and you know, pressure gets put on them. Financially, economically, of course, affects the mental health and the home life. Um, and out there, the the services just aren't the same. And I think structurally, we need to improve. We need to be able to get telehealth to a level that's more accessible to more people. And I think we need to raise the conversation around people who are suffering with not not a lot of things to do to take their mind off them, because often distractions can be the difference between life and death. Just a quick change of gear, Joe, back to your story for a second. You've been very public about what you've been through. Can you talk to us about what some of your darker moments felt like, what you were personally experiencing? It's
0: just a numbness. you know. It's a numbness that, that if you think about it, then you can see, you can imagine a light at the end of the tunnel, but you can't see it. You can't feel what it is. You can talk about what it is, but you can't realistically feel what it is. Uh, And some of my darkest moments, uh, which obviously led to my suicide attempt in 2012, but even moments since then where I've been in uh, an incredible hole um, where I've had to fight my way out of it, you know, this stuff doesn't go away. Uh, You've got to constantly pay attention to how you're feeling and constantly um, you know, check into you know your well being and why uh, your well being might be happening or what might be heading down a negative path. So uh, it's for me the biggest thing out of my journey has been uh, being able to pay attention to what it is that I go through. In paying attention and identifying what it is I go through, I can on the flip side of that identify the things to stay away from, uh, which have been you know things like alcohol and drugs and. And any type of, type of negative behaviors or attitudes, I try and steer clear of also.
1: What does alcohol and drugs do for you specifically?
0: You know, I'm, I'm uh, and I've been very public in, in, in voicing my journey with this, but I'm a recovery alcoholic addict where, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be clean and sober now for almost 13 years. Uh, I used alcohol and drugs for a hell of a long time to numb the pain of what was going on in my head, uh, a, a constant dialogue. Telling me that I wasn't good enough, that I'd never amount to anything, and that I should end my life. Um, you know, it was it was it was constant uh, that that happened to me on a daily occurrence. Um, so alcohol for me was the the the, the band aid or the numbing agent that what that I used. And then after that, you know, once I moved to the Sydney to to the city, I I I I found recreational drugs. So you know, I drink as much as I possibly could. And then I'd take as many drugs as I possibly could to just to be able to keep going, you know. So it was, you know, for me. And then once I realized that all these negative behaviors that were happening in and around my life was when there was alcohol and drugs in my system or when I was around that. Um, so for me, I knew that I had to make some, some fairly important decisions to move away from alcohol and drugs. Uh, and you know, thankfully that happened for me 13 years ago, but you know, what when. I took away alcohol and drugs out of my system. What I was doing for a long time was dampening or quietening the noise that was happening in my mind. I take alcohol and drugs away, the noise gets turned back up again. Um, so it was, it was a blessing really that I, that I identified alcohol and drugs as a problem because then at taking that out of my system, I got to identify the real root problem of what was going on with me.
1: And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very similar thing to what I've heard from other friends, colleagues who have had battles with alcohol in particular where, you know, you talk about becoming sober and you sort of find the courage to do so. You put down the bottle and then it's like, fucking boom, like the concrete wall starts to hit you. And then you're like, even if I wanted to get better, I don't know if I can withstand this pain. So like, how did you get through that moment of getting back to stability?
0: Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous taught me how to live present. You know, it taught me it taught me how to um, you know, in those tough times of of even and, and not just the tough times of suicidal ideation or even physically in the sporting arena, the tough times of the mental torment that was going on when I when I was craving the addictive um, things that I was that I was experiencing in my life. So when I was craving alcohol, when I was craving drugs, and you know, I was almost pulling my hair out some days you know, searching through cupboards to see if there's anything in there. Um, you know, that might sound so extreme to some people, but, you know, that's that's what addiction does to you. Uh, and mm-hmm. for me, it was about identifying that and making a decision that, you know, if I'm going to be a better person, I'm going to take this out of my life. Uh, and I, I, I put the right steps in doing that. And you realize that, again, once you live present in the mind, that no matter what it is or how hard you're doing it, you can get through it in just in those living in those present moments. When things start to get tougher for you is when you start to live upstairs in the head again.
1: Right. So it was a continual commitment to, instead of thinking about how am I going to get through the next fucking three weeks sober if I can't get through the next hour, is sort of like parking that three weeks and being like, all right, how do I get from, you know, the kitchen to the living room and walk past, you know, the, the cupboard without opening it? Was, it? was it that type of mindset?
0: Well, I I was lucky enough that that I had a, um, it was my my ex-wife at the time, I had, you know, she was extremely, uh, uh, she was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She was supportive, um, you know, and she helped me through these tough times. So, um, you know, for me, it was, uh, there there wasn't any alcohol in the house. So, which is, which was a great thing for me, um, you know, when I first started to get off it. But again, it's. You know, I, I still – people find it hard to believe that, that I've, I've been almost 13 years sober, sober just by staying present in what I'm doing. Um, for me, I might drink tomorrow. You know, people say, oh, you know, that's that's tough to, to, to even say that after being off at 13 years. But you know what? I might drink tomorrow, but today I won't. And I've just got to get through this tough moment right now, and then I'll address tomorrow when it comes, if it comes. And that's everything of what I've done through tough times in my life.
1: It's that I want, I want to really land that point home. It's a, it's a huge one. I can relate to it big time for me. One of the reasons I made it through my dark times, I remember thinking to myself, I I had a panic, many panic attacks at work. One day I was going through hell and I walked down the fire exit of the building. It was a cold spring day in Seattle in the States. And, um, opened the fire exit and the car park was probably 15 meters away. And my roommate with, was with me at the time. And I said, Jamie, I don't think I can make it to the car. And he's like, okay, well just take one more step then. And he literally had to like, we broke the moment down to like, you know, step by step, but physically doing that. And sometimes we need to shorten our time horizon to create more realistic goals. And, you know, if people out there who are listening to this, if, if their time horizon is an hour or a day, then, you know, you're really not alone. And Joe, I think you said it so well, which is like, you know, if that's what needs to be done to, to hit it and then, you know, work towards maybe a longer time horizon in the future, that's fine, but be where you are.
0: Just, just be where you are, mate, because you can't get through anything if you're not getting through right now. You know, and, and we and we think about how am I going to get through that twenty first birthday or that that wedding anniversary on the weekend? How am I going to get through these tough times when there's so much alcohol around? It mightn't even you mightn't wake up tomorrow. So why even think about it? You know, that, that's that's everything to all of my tough times of of how I've got through it. Whether again, whether I've been in the sporting field, whether whether I've, or the sporting arena, or going through some some mental chaos, or even get, battling through my addiction. The one thing that has saved me is the ability to be able to live present. And once you start to live present, you start to realize that it doesn't matter what you wake up at or how you are feeling, you just have to build on that. And you build on that and you become a better person in what you do whenever you want to do it.
1: Yeah. And I think presence and acceptance go hand in hand because if you're present but you're sort of resisting where you are, you'll just bounce yourself right out of the moment. Like if you wake up and you're feeling shit and you're like, fuck, I can't be present with this. I don't want to be in this moment. um, It sort of defeats the purpose. So you have to have a willingness to be present, a willingness to show up in the moment regardless of how it feels, which is, is really hard and it takes practice.
0: I think that willingness comes with wanting to be alive as well. You know, like the, the the reality is for a lot of people is that you have to be willing to fight for this. You know, it's not just going to happen for you. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I've got five beautiful kids, um, you know, three kids, more than what I had at my suicide attempt, you know. So I'm I'm extremely thankful that I get to do that, but it's a choice that I have to make. You know, I can choose to lay down in the gutter and let it beat me, or I can choose to fight it head on with everything I got every single moment of the day.
1: How are you um obviously today's a rough day, but how are you doing generally?
0: There's ups and downs. You know, it is what it is. But again um, you know, yesterday's gone and tomorrow may not happen. So I just worry about what I'm getting through right now. And you know, I woke up uh, you know, horribly down today. Uh why? Again, I don't know. And that's when I got the friend uh, the, the news of a friend passing, but um, you know, we just have to do the best we can in each tough situation, you know. It's and you know, it's 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 not anyone else that's that's trying to get through these tough situations. You know, everyone has their own battles, but it's the end of the day, it's us as an individual um, getting through these tough times that are gonna and, and fighting through it uh, are the ones that are gonna gonna get it.
1: Well, thank you for leading by example, Joe, every day in in the work that you do. I hope that uh, presence gifts itself to you now over the next few days, as, as you find some peace. And uh, I'm so glad that you know you have. A lot to live for and an amazing family to, to continue to inspire you in the work that you do and I appreciate you having a chat with me today.
0: You know, I think it's about, you know, holding strong in your own integrity and, you know, at the end of the day, if you're doing the best you can in every single present moment, then, you know, you're you're only doing the best you can. You know, that's not the best that anyone else can do. It's the best that you can do and, and we're going to remind ourselves that uh, because an unrealistic uh, life is being pushed onto us by things like social media and TV. So, um, you know, we just have to learn to live that in our present moment, we're just got to be the best we possibly can each
1: day. Joe, thanks for your time, mate, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.